0: Good morning. Good morning, new year, a new series, and I've highly anticipated the series. I'm really excited to get into the next few weeks of looking at who God has designed us to be and how God has designed us to grow. Uh, I probably identify more with the apostle Peter than any other apostle. Uh, how many of you remember Peter? And he was probably known for sticking his foot in his mouth more than anybody else, Um, But the Apostle Peter did have a special relationship with Jesus. He served in the inner three. Every time you hear them listed, you hear Peter, James, and John. So he was a leader to the other disciples. Looking at the narrative and the arc of his life, he, he walked on water, but he also sank. He had a devotion and swore devotion to Jesus, but then denied him three times at the cross. He proclaimed Jesus as Messiah but then would turn from ministry and return to fishing where he was first found. He mentored other disciples, even the apostle Paul, and is still remembered today uh, as giving arguably the greatest sermon of all time in the New Testament in his first sermon. He's incredibly human. Jesus changed his name from Simon Peter to Peter during the course of ministry because Jesus wanted to focus on that aspect of his name and how he had designed Peter to work and walk. Scripturally, we witness Peter wrestle uh, repeatedly with becoming like Jesus because he stiff-arms God at every turn. And he almost seemingly stunts his own growth. Anyone ever done this before? Any self-sabotagers in the room? Um, He is, if not... Uh, the authority on discipleship and authority to apprenticing in Jesus. He himself was discipled by Jesus, and in turn, he gave us a New Testament roadmap for what it means to grow as a disciple in Jesus in his second epistle, and that's where we'll be turning today, Second Peter 1. It, it reads like this. I'm going to go ahead and read it. It says, "'His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness.'" Through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. By these, He has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge. "...knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, listen to this, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election because you do these things and you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. Let me start by saying why we're going to enter this series, why we're going to find out our God-given identities, and why we're going to look at how we grow as a disciple. It's so that we do not become unfruitful and useless in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen? So... Um, let me, let me paint a picture for you. I think that all good gospel-centered messages go back to an iconic pop culture picture uh, that Star Wars gave us. Okay, I probably need to find another icon, but, but let's just go back to, let's look at Luke Skywalker for a moment. Okay? Not the new stuff. We're talking about Luke Skywalker, like back at New Hope, when he is first found on the island on the on the planet of Tatooine. Everyone know where I'm talking about? Desert planet. Okay, not a desert island, desert planet. And do we remember what his job was? I heard some of y'all, farmers. Yeah, okay. Let me be more clear. His job was not to farm for goods or food. His job was to farm for water on a desert planet. That was his job. He was farming for moisture on a desert planet. Go no further. And I think he embodies unfruitful and useless. Like if you get up every day and that's your job, how many of you are gonna lose hope pretty quickly? internally, we see a struggle within Luke Skywalker though. Internally within him, he is the son of a queen. And he doesn't understand why when he goes out to farm for water, he can move rocks with his mind. He has a tendency to believe that he might be intended for more, that there may be more to all of this in his life. Now, how many of you have ever had that feeling in your life, that there may be more to all of this life and faith thing? How many of you have ever felt like maybe there's a little bit more and I feel a little unfulfilled, I'm discontented with this? I believe that Luke had that and I don't believe that all of us are called to bring balance to the force, okay? I also don't believe that we're all called to be rich and famous or take an occupation within a church as a minister. I do not believe that. But what we are going to talk about as is your calling, how God has individually wired you so that you can advance the kingdom and enjoin God in what he is doing most. Um, I want to go back and and just remind us that there we have a tendency as Americans or any industrialized world to kind of define ourselves by what we do. We have a tendency to believe that our occupation defines us. But the Apostle Paul, who we call the Apostle Paul, do you know we didn't pay him for apostling? We paid him to make tents. And so we don't call him the tent maker Paul. He had a design and a calling As an apostle, but he did something else to make a living. Hello? And so, uh, if you have ever thought or asked yourself, there's got to be more to it than this. You may have found that you feel a little out of balance in life. Okay? And if you've ever asked yourself, what is God's will... We have to look no further than Jesus' words because I believe that all vision is birthed from Scripture. And if you feel a little bit like there's got to be more to it this, then your life is either one of two things or both. Out of balance or at worst lacks a little vision. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen says, without revelation, people run wild. They scatter. But one who follows divine instruction will be happy. What was the divine instruction of Jesus? Well, when asked in Matthew 22, what is the greatest commandment, he gave an answer. And I'm going to use a plate because quite honestly, when I try to freehand this, I shoot my own example in the foot. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to use some God-given aid. Amen. All right, that's close enough. Okay, Jesus taught more about kingdom than he did anything else. And he said the greatest commandment was that we are to love him with all that we have, with our entirety. He said the second greatest commandment was to love others as he intended. Okay? Those two things. And then in Matthew 28, he said, "You're to teach other people to do what I've taught you. What he teach them. So, you're to lead others to love God as well. The intersection of these three circles is one word. It is the thing that Jesus taught more about than anything else in his ministry, kingdom. And if we spend any time emphasizing one of these circles more than we do the others. Consequently, the other two will dwarf and our life or the kingdom around us gets out of balance. Thus, we begin to go, there's got to be more to it than this. Hello? So just a little bit of uh, visual here. Most of life is cyclical. Have you learned that? Uh, Most of our learning therein is the same. We learn by watching those who are older than us and have gone before us. We teach those who have come behind us. We instruct them. Hebrews thirteen seven says, remember your leaders who spoke in God's word to you. As you carefully observe their outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. You and I were taught truths about God. We were taught things about his character, his desire by watching those who were more mature than ourselves and went before us. We learn about God's grace because someone else, a more mature disciple, was gracious with us, right? How many of you ever met a gracious disciple? Okay. We, in turn, are expected to be gracious disciples once we become knowledgeable about God's grace. God expects us to also be, in turn, gracious. But that's not automatic. There's a process that we go through. And that process is what I just read in 2 Peter 1. That process, you hear it read that you add to, add to, add to. And we have a tendency, just because of the way we were taught, to think that's stackable lists. But that's not actually the way that it was intended or written. While it is a list... I believe that list is actually something that actually grows upon one another and it is cyclical like our growth cycle and it's more of a circle that leads to something else. So once you have a knowledge of God's grace and God expects grace to come forth from your life so that other people can be knowledgeable about how gracious God is, there's a process that must come to completion in each of our lives so that that happens. And I call it the spin cycle. Can I put the graphic up? This is how the disciple looks more like Jesus. This is how we decrease and he increases in us. And quite honestly, everything we learn in life goes through this process. More specifically, everything we learn about Jesus goes through this process. Now, I changed some of the words just so it's a little more palatable. But I believe it moves from knowledge of God's grace to being awed by God's grace to Applying grace ourselves to being accountable to be gracious to recognize my life is on mission as a gracious person and thus grace appropriates and comes out of my life but the entire process begins at knowledge can I have Ephesians 4 4-7 on the screen we're going to look at this one together there is one body one spirit just as you were called to one hope at your calling One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. So let's go back to that word grace. Let's say that God is gracious. And we have a tendency to love to study because we've believed and bought in that knowledge is power. So we study grace. And we learn how to say it religiously. We do a language study on the point of grace to where we can say it in all the original languages. And we know a lot about grace and we end up telling others, teaching others about all that we know about grace. But let's say this. Let's say that's where we stop. Let's say that a truth about God, his grace, is all that we allow it to be and that is a truth. How many of you have a tendency to love to read like me? You read a bunch of dead authors. You love knowledge. You love to consume knowledge. That's me. And see, here's the thing. I have in my own life, and I think we all go through it, what Peter's trying to tell us here is watch your tendency to stiff-arm God right here. Watch your tendency to stiff-arm God and not allow the grace of God to blow your hair back again. Stop stop your tendency and just taking the grace of God and making it solely academic. You may know a lot about grace but never do grace. So the only way you're going to do grace is if you let God blow you away with how gracious He is repeatedly, daily, minute by minute. Hello? And so what He is saying here is this, do not Treat your faith as solely academic. Do not become just a student because when you do, you join more than 85% of those who have been raised in an industrial world who just took the faith of Jesus that lacks a ton of work. And faith without works is what? It lacks a ton of work and no action, no experience, and you just made it a classroom where we can tell a lot of things about the Lord, but we can't speak about our experience and we cannot live the thing he's asked us to do, to live so that other people have knowledge of it. We take the knowledge of God's grace and we believe just by teaching about it, others will know. How many of you know when he said, taste and see that the Lord is good, that verse had everything to do with experience. So we have to, we have to take a step back Watch our tendency to stiff on God and spin out right here, keep going back to knowledge because we become those people who consume and we consume without purpose. When we consume without purpose, we become academic disciples who never live the grace that we're called to so that other people have hope. We have to repent of being unteachable. See, how many of you have ever been in that conversation where someone started talking about grace and you go, I already know this? This isn't for me, this is for someone else. You may be struggling with academic faith in that moment. You may be struggling as an academic disciple. Because when you talk about the grace of God, it should inspire everybody around us. We have to repent of being unteachable. And we have to allow ourselves to move to the place where grace blows our hair back again. And we get awed by the grace of God and the power, and the majesty, and the miraculous of God. And when we do, when we do, let's imagine how that moves us. Let's imagine that it moves us at the very core of our being. How many of you would say that's memorable? How many of you would say that's exciting? How many of you would say, I want more of that? Okay, you would be right, of course we would. But see, here's the tendency that we've had as disciples who want this. We have a tendency to go, okay, man, I had this amazing, moving uh, experience with God, and I just want more of that. So I bottle that, I put it on the shelf, and I break it out any and every time I possibly can. Whether that be at summer camp, whether that be at passion whether that be at the tent revival on the sawdust road, whether that be at my Christmas cantata, whatever event seemingly does it for you because that's where it happened before, we start to placate God into a box that says God is only at camp. And we begin to just look for mountaintop experience after mountaintop experience, never walking or abiding with God, but hopping from event to event. Becoming inspirational, cheerleading faith disciples, those who simply like junkies run to the next big event because God is in the big. Hello? First Kings 19 would speak against this. I'm gonna put this on the screen. Verse nine says like this. He entered a cave there and spent the night. Suddenly the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here Elijah, he replied, "I've been very zealous for the Lord our God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and now they've killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and now they're looking to take my life." He said, "Go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence." At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great, mighty wind was tearing through the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a voice, a soft whisper. Elijah heard it. He wrapped his face in the mantle, went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here? Elijah, go back the way you came. If we solely look for God in the big, we will miss him in the mundane. We will miss him in the day-to-day. God has not called for all of us to be famous and to be on some big stage in front of everyone. And God also is bigger than us putting him in a box that bottles his power on a shelf and we get to break it out when we want to. He is bigger than when we walk in here and the band that day doesn't play our jam, he can still move. Hello? You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like almost secretly becoming cynical and angry because the band didn't play what we wanted them to or the preacher that day was terrible. Here's the thing. We gathered and corporately sang songs about the one true and living God who saves from bondage of sin. And we also opened the word and we heard what the truth of, about that God says. I don't care if it's done monotonely and nobody here knows the chord to play. We should still all stand up and celebrate because we've heard from our God and we get to go live that. But see, we have to be in a place where we walk with the Lord consistently in order to do that. That's why in first, Second Peter 1, it says self-control or self-discipline. Much like we looked at a couple months ago, spiritual discipline is the one that seeks the Lord in the quiet, knowing that God says the most important things to us in a whisper. So we Sabbath, So we come alongside in the silence and we open the scriptures and we allow the Holy Spirit to breathe on us. And we get awed in that moment. Not by events. We repent of the tendency to need to be entertained. We have to repent of making our faith solely event-driven and needing to be entertained so that we can abide in him and grace can have hope of not just inspiring us but inspiring others and come out of us. We need an enduring faith or a faith of action. In Genesis 1, 26 through 28, it says that he called us and create us in his image. In verse 26. I'm just going to say it. We're going to look at verse 27. That's where I want us to focus. Verse 26. It says that he created man in his image. That he might rule. Or have dominion over the earth. And then he says. That he created them. In his image. Both male and female. In verse 28. He says it again. And whenever you see in scripture. God say something twice, it's meant with emphasis. 28, he says that God created man to have dominion or rule over the earth. That word rule is Radah. And what it means is that we would not just rule or reign. This is why it was confusing for all Israelites who who killed the Messiah and can't accept Jesus. Today, they struggle because they believed, they knew the promise that was that they would one day rule Over the earth, and all Gentiles and Samaritans would bow at their feet. But in the new covenant, Jesus said, This is my blood, Jew and Gentile alike. And they were like, We don't like that. What that word actually means is to actively partner with God in taking the world forward. The word Radah means to actively engage as God designed you so that you help advance the kingdom that Jesus taught most about. No matter your background, Jew, Gentile, your ruling is that you get up daily and you walk contently as he has designed you and you help advance the kingdom in that. It's living for bigger than just a moment or for yourself. It's a sustaining faith. You see, there are two types of action words in the English language. There is doing, and I gotta say that the church has been guilty of this for a long time. We've done a lot. And if you thought, well, faith in action is doing, you'd be right. How many this means yes. Okay? Yeah, I thought that's what that was a word to do some. You're exactly right. However,. Doing without a known purpose becomes arbitrary. It dare becomes obligatory. How many of you have ever gotten involved in the soup kitchen or gotten involved in a ministry where you are serving and eventually burn out and go, I don't even know why I'm doing this anymore? Grow extremely tired because your doing is uninformed, it's uninformed with your known purpose. The image that you've been created in and how it fits in the greater scheme of the kingdom. That's what we're going to be exploring through this series. So you don't need to miss any day here. We need to walk through this one together. But the reason I say that is important. Because in Proverbs 22, 6, it says that you raise a child up in the way that they will go. And when they're older, they won't depart from it. That's not take your kid to church. What that means is you and I were all designed by God with a natural bend. And it is our job to teach and instruct and ask the spirit what that bend is so that we know how to walk and join God in taking the world forward and advancing the kingdom. And we don't keep bumping into one another. It's how we learn to play well with others. And we're going to learn more about that next week as we look at 1 Corinthians 12 in that we are one body but many parts. In in, uh, Ephesians 4.11, it says that he himself called some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And what that's talking about is, listen, I know I'm going to protect church history right here. I don't have time to unpack all of that today. That's what the series is going to be. So you come back. We'll talk about one week, each of these, but I'm not talking about offices to aspire to in the church. Those exist in church history. I'm protecting that. What I'm talking about is the fact that this is how you understand. This is the title God gave each of us when he wired you and asked you to join in taking the world forward. Every one of us fits into one of these five, and this, there's, it's not a personality. Please let me be clear. There are personality traits that come out of each of us, attributes, but it is a function that you play. 1 Corinthians 12 says, if everyone were an eye, where would the smelling be? If everyone were a hand, we'd have nothing to stand on. When you and I don't know who we are, we cannot be informed of what we do or how we contribute. So your doing is going to come out of you, but that needs to be informed by who you are. And that's revealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to be looking at. That is your calling. That is your action. You identify most with God when you are being as he designed you, called you. How do I know that? In Exodus 3, when Moses was approached at the burning bush by God, Moses in terror looks at God and says, who do I tell the Israelites has sent me? God says this, you tell them I am that I am has sent you. I am, I was, and I will Be. And you identify most with me, your creator, when you are simply being who I've created you to be. And out of that, you do. We have to repent here at action of doing arbitrary things. We have to repent of just doing obligatorily because we were told to do something. We have to find value. In life, this is doing the arbitrary thing is farming for water in a desert planet, knowing that you were intended for more. There's got to be more to it. Repent of just doing arbitrary things. Let's get informed. When that takes place, we move to the point of godliness, it says, or accountability. Once we understand our God-given shape, we are accountable to live as we've been designed by God. This is true accountability. I did not learn this till later in life. The model that I was taught for accountability was a little different. The model I was taught for accountability isn't bad. It isn't wrong. I don't even think it was malintended. I just think it didn't get to the heart of accountability biblically. I think what it did was it dealt with the manifestations around the heart problem. Here's what I mean. I would meet early at Chick-fil-A, have some Jesus chicken, you know, 5 a.m., go through Galatians 1, and then I'd be asked to confess some lingering sin from the week. And then we'd pray and move out. That is not in and of itself bad, but that is not accountability from God's perspective. Let me just encourage you. Once you know whom God has made you to be, let's say you're going to learn this, but a pastor is responsible, not a title pastor, not occupation pastor, a shepherd like David who never got paid as a pastor, a shepherd like Moses who never got paid for walking as he was called, was to make it safe for the people to execute vision. Let's say that a pastor is in our midst And they are designed to make it safe for us to execute vision. And regularly is praying, God, give me divine appointments. Open my eyes to see where you're working. I want to see that. I want to join you in that. I want to move the world forward, advance the kingdom by joining you. I meet with that pastor for accountability. We sit down and we talk and I say to them, hey, how have you made it safe for people this week? Where were you asked to join God in the advancement of safety? And you guys probably know these people. Maybe you are one. The people that go to the grocery store and the entire they, they walk around with a billboard on their forehead that says, tell me your problems. You know what I'm talking about? Those people that for whatever reason, they put out this aura that says, I'm a good listener and I'm going to listen. I'm going to make all of your problems safe. I'm a safe space. Tell me. That person is told by his wife to run to Kroger. He's got two minutes to get home before their next thing that they're going to go to. But we need some milk for the things to go get it. And he's standing in line. and He looks back and he's got the milk carton. But he can see the woman behind him who has two carts deep. I mean full. Like she's been shopping. And he looks at her And he can see that her world is broken and destroyed. And she's been waiting all week to tell someone her story. And he's got his billboard on, like, tell me. And he has to make a decision at that moment. I can either turn and forget my agenda and listen to everything she has so I can make that safer because she waited all week and I've been praying for divine appointments and and this is it. Or I can go, no, I need to be home on time. Wifey is expecting me. I got the milk. And we keep our agenda and we walk out. When I meet with that guy at accountability time, maybe it is Chick-fil-A early in the morning. I don't know. I go, how did you walk and create safety for those this week? Well, there was this woman at Kroger. Oh, I get it. Okay, so you didn't do that. So let me ask you now, what did you do after? Well, I felt... I felt so bad, I needed to feed, like I needed to feel better. So you would hope to hear at this moment that they exercise spiritual discipline. They go to the scriptures, they have a Sabbath, they have some silence, they have some quiet time. Let the Lord speak and hear him say, it's grace, you'll have another opportunity, it's okay. But unlikely, usually what we hear is, I drank too much, I went to places on the internet where no one else could see And I fed my flesh because I needed to be immediately gratified because I messed up and I felt sick inside. Hello? A manifestation of the heart problem. We are accountable to walk as God has called us. We repent here and we stop stiff arming God and spinning out at accountability when we repent of entitlement. I get to keep my agenda. Not when you're praying for divine appointments, you don't. Hello? You're called to walk as you are called and to move the world forward advance the kingdom. This leads us, if we will move past this and embrace our God-given identity, not an individuality, not trying to fight for our own rights, we move to the point of mission or brotherly affection, where we... Live as Christ, as Paul said, where we recognize that my life is more about others than it is about me. That I commit my life to not be my own. I recognize he died for me and thus I live for him. The very breath that's in my life today is like the number of hairs on my head. They were given by him and he watches them, how it keeps them, my time is short. It's like a vapor, I need to walk as I'm called. And my life is in him, not in me. Here we realize the difference of fighting solely for ourselves. And we recognize the call that we have to fight for others. So you fight for the lady who is standing behind you in line to live more than just for ourselves, to live for him and to live for our neighbor. This is a stage in a disciple's life when we begin to realize that the life that we knew before is completely gone. Worshiping him, not ourselves. We recognize our call and the people around us. So we repent of making it about ourselves. If you're going to move past the point of, of mission and not spin out here, Here's what we have to do. we got to stop stiff-arming God and fighting for our own rights, recognizing He fought for us on the cross, still fights for us, and we just join Him. We just submit. We repent of self-worship. We repent of making it about us. And we don't stiff-arm God here and we join Him. And the beauty of that is this. that When you allow yourself to go to this point... When you allow the knowledge of God's grace to blow your hair back to where you're going to live and walk as you're called to be gracious and you're accountable to that and because you know you're not your own and you join him in what he's doing. The beauty of that is this. When you make it to this point, it is impossible to spin out an appropriation because here's the deal. When you're that submitted, grace just comes out of who you are. Can I see the graphic you begin to appropriate grace so that other people around you gain knowledge of that same grace. To live as Christ, to love as Christ, the grace of Christ will begin to come out of who we are. And it comes pouring out of our lives. It comes pouring out of who we are. Thus, ministering to others and offering hope to those who are still bound to this world and the sin of self-worship, in the bondage of living for me. The Lord begins to reveal his grace so that the world around us who is bound can have hope and we join him most in advancing the world. Rada, we rule. Amen? In John 15, it says that we abide in him, but to remain in residence with him is this process. To commit ourselves to the process and stop stiff-arming him. Stop stopping short. Stop stop deciding that we know better and let God be God. And let the process come to completion. Because in Luke 14, it reads like this. Let me just... Put it up. Now great crowds are traveling with him so he turned and said to them if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, his mother, his wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes even his own life he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple for which of you wanting to build a tower would first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, the onlookers will begin to ridicule him saying this man started to build but was unable to finish. He's talking about faith here. Or what king would go out to war against another king will not sit down first and decide if he's able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If not, while the other is still afar off, he sends a delegation, asks them for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, everyone who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Now, salt is good. But if a salt loses its taste, how shall it be made salty? It isn't fit for soil or for the manure pile. They throw it out. Let anyone who has ears to hear, let him listen. What Jesus is saying here is exactly what Peter said. If you don't want to have unfruitful and useless faith, a faith only fit, not even fit for the manure pile, then you commit to the process and let it go through to completion. This is how we become more like him. And John 3.30 says, less like ourselves. We begin to look more like Him, sound more like Him when we allow God to be God and we walk as we're called. This process is the process by which disciples or princes of Jesus begin to look more like Jesus and less like us. But you have to consider the cost before you enter the process. Jesus lays out the cost of being a disciple and what it will cost to make disciples and just how disciples are fueled this process refuels us and finds his or her saltiness again. It isn't in, it's in him alone that we bear fruit. And it's only by emptying ourselves. Everything we learn about God goes through this very process in Second Peter 1. And if we commit to allow it to complete, then we, his disciples, will bear fruit. But I want to be clear. Disciples always bear fruit. Even demons believe, James said. It's more than knowledge. It's more than just belief. All apprentices and disciples bear fruit. If God is gracious, it should be pouring out of you and I because we were awed and we cannot contain it. If we're going to be disciples who make disciples, we need to stop spinning out at the places where we find self-righteous strength, running to our flesh, and allow ourselves to trust ourselves to die and commit to the process of him shaping us. This is the only way that we love like him and the grace that he had for us comes pouring out of us unto others. Have you considered the cost? The alternative is always wondering, is there more? How many of you like living with the question, man, there's got to be more to it than this? That's the only alternative. It's the only, because without committing to the process... Your faith, unfruitful and useless. How many of you want to stand before the Lord expecting to hear well done and he goes, you were useless? (laughs) I mean, like, not me. You made it about you. Are you committed to the process of becoming more like him and less like you?